It's time for Hawk Central. From the Des Moines Register and 1460 KXNO, Des Moines Sports Station. Off and running here for Hour 3 of the Fanatics, Hour 1 of Hawk Central here on 1460 KXNO. Chad Lystico slides in studio for Chris Williams. What's up, Chad? How are you, man? Pretty good, pretty good. Set up a fun one for us again this afternoon. We'll have Mark Emmert with us as we always do. Hi, Mark. How are you, sir? Great. How are you? Doing well. We'll get a lot of uh, draft reaction here on Hawk Central today, and we got a guy that can, uh, well, he will be our expert for this on several levels, and it's Brian Ferentz. How are you, Coach? Thanks for giving us time. I'm doing well. Thanks for having me, guys. Absolutely. If it's okay, we'll just dive right in here, Chad. Are you all right with that? You wanted to uh, you want, you want to talk to Bri- off? Brian about uh, a pizza or anything like that? You want to jump into it? <laughs> well, yeah, since I'm the resident Bears fan on here, I'll ask about James Daniels there to start. Um, thanks for being here, Brian. Uh, first of all, did you have any interaction um, with the Bears on James? Um, and what kind of pro do you think James will be? I'll tell you what, I actually did not. Um, they were the only teams I did not have much interaction with, other than, you know, you're always um, in contact with their scouting department when those guys are through and watching practice and watching tape and those types of things. But mm-hmm. I didn't receive any calls on them. Um, you know, and my dad may have. Uh, obviously, we've known Harry Heastman a long time and uh, just have utmost respect for, for what he is as an offensive line coach. And, um, yeah, I think it's a really good. Uh, I think it's a really good fit. I think James has a lot of potential. I told everyone that I talked to during the process that just really felt like his best football is in front of him, and uh, he's going to continue to improve. So he's one of those guys that I think is uh, as his career progresses, as, as he moves forward, if he's getting the right kind of coaching, if he's getting the right kind of development, uh, I think the sky's the limit for him. And I'm confident he's going to get those things. I, I think the Bears uh, certainly have one of the best line coaches in the business right now working for him. So uh, they're getting a pretty good young player for him to work with. It would seem to me, Coach, that uh, from the professional level looking down, if I'm going to call a college coach, he's probably going to give me a really sunny review on a guy. Do you get calls from the NFL? Do they ask you to to give you uh, uh, you know very critical analysis of the guys you're looking at? Sure, that's an excellent question. I think that um, it certainly depends on who they're dealing with. That I have enough history with some people in that uh, in that league that I hope they're comfortable in calling me, and, and I hope they understand that uh, I'm, I'm going to try to be realistic in my answers. It's no different than in recruiting. Uh, you try to go to as many sources as you can, but uh, there, there are high school coaches that I certainly uh, respect their uh, not only their opinion but their honesty and their frankness and. Uh, I think if you have a good relationship with somebody, we certainly wish the best for all our players and, and we wish them continued success. But I always want to be very realistic with teams that are, are talking to us about um, you know, what, what everybody's strengths and weaknesses are, where they can improve, what they can get better at. Uh, I think it's important that um, you know that we maintain a, a truthfulness with those guys and a, and a rapport. Uh, and, and I think they would tell you we, we have that. That's why they continue to come back. Um, I don't think it's... Uh, a real mystery why our guys continue to be drafted and continue to have success. Uh, most teams know what they're getting. They know exactly what they're getting. Uh, and a lot of that is the, the feedback they're getting through the process. They know exactly what they're getting into with guys. seemed like this year, and I don't want to say they were misled, but some of those draft projections really had James and Josh going going pretty high in that first round. To drop out of that first round, obviously there, there's a little bit of a 
uh, an emotional impact that happens with that through your 20 years of doing this coach have you have you found some way of being able to prepare or through your dad doing this for 20 years you've been around it found some way to prepare guys for that uh not inevitable uh disappointment but eventual possible um, disappointment yeah i don't know if it's disappointment i think uh, anytime you're drafted um well, you should be pretty excited about that. You're realizing a childhood dream. You're getting to do something that uh, I don't know exactly how many draft picks there are now, but I think it's only about 340 some odd guys uh, get that opportunity every year. So, um, yeah, unfortunately, we, we live in a society where um, you know the hype and, and, and the buildup a lot of times takes precedence over the event, and I see that in recruiting all the time. You know, guys are out there collecting offers and blessed to do this and blessed to do that. Um, and really, they have no, no clue what it means to be blessed to do anything. Uh, to wake up every day, get a chance to play the game you love. There are people that kill for that opportunity. And there's a lot of young people who don't have that opportunity. So, um, you know, I, I don't know that there's disappointment. I think if there's disappointment, we've done a poor job of preparing them for That's... the National Football League. On, on Friday, on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, uh, you get 32 teams with you know, they employ various numbers of people that are all trying to make a decision that's best for their organization. And I think the beauty is in the eye of the beholder. When you look at the lead-up to the draft, you look at the prep work and the mock drafts, and uh, those are all done by people that have no skin in the game. Um, mm-hmm. You know, basically you can say anything you want. It's just like the people that talk on Saturday mornings on TV uh, before we play the game. It's like us, Coach. It's, uh, they pay me yeah. to do it. It's a ridiculous lifestyle, man. Yeah, it's a pretty good lifestyle, but uh, – you know, our kids are realistic. They understand that, uh, you know, getting an opportunity to play in the NFL is special. Not everybody gets that. Where you get an opportunity, uh, really not important. It's what you do with it. And, um, you know, Peggy Whitson was honored a couple of weeks ago, about a month ago, by the Character Counts um, organization in Iowa. She said that, uh, you know, one of the quotes attributed to hers, it's not about where you've been, it's about where you're going. And it's not about how you get somewhere. It's about what you do with that opportunity. So uh, I think our players understand that. I surely hope they do. And, and really, when you look at the teams that are having success in the National Football League, uh, you know, not all. I just saw today. You know, obviously, Brand Sheriff. There's a success story so far. Um, you know, they they optioned him. I think about a month ago. Uh, but I saw you know two other guys drafted in that first round that your offensive linemen were not optioned. They didn't get their fifth year picked up. Mm. Um, you know, so it's just it's one of them had already been traded. You know, it's it's an inexact science. It's imperfect. It's just like recruiting. Chad, you want to jump in here? Mark, you got something for Coach right away? We can uh, kind of go through some of these draft picks if you'd like, Chad. Well, let's uh, let's go to Iowa football okay. right now. Um, and this is probably the most uh, important question you'll face uh, <laughs> this entire interview. Um, you got to experience uh, calling plays on the field at the Pinstripe Bowl. So I don't think we got to ask you about this the other day. Have you thought about um, the press box versus the field in 2018? Sure, I thought a lot about it. Um, and that's why I went downstairs for the bowl game. I, I just felt like, um, mm-hmm. you know, I called the game from, from upstairs 12 opportunities to do that. And uh, there's certainly pros, there's certainly cons. I, I think with me, uh, what I've learned is uh, I'm just, I'm, I'm a better coach on the field. I, I do better down there. I can have more of an impact down there. And um, I think the key was can, can I successfully do my job from the field? I don't know how successfully did in the bowl game. That was an interesting playing surface, but um, I certainly feel like uh, certainly feel like I can I can do the things I need to do on the field, and uh, I would anticipate being there moving forward. Really? Okay, that's interesting. interesting. Do, do you think Ken would like be uh, Ken would be up top then, or 
Do, do you I, you need know, we'll, we'll have to make those. We'll have to make those decisions as we go. But uh, yeah. somebody will need to be upstairs. Yeah. Right. So one advantage of being on, uh, on the field is we won't hear any interactions with replay officials. And <laughs> I'm not making light of it in any way, but. Um, is it, did that did what happened at the halftime of the Minnesota game? Did that change? Um, did that change you in any way? Uh, I, I think we're constantly evolving and we're constantly changing. I hope. Uh, well, if you're staying the same, that, that's probably not good. But uh, you know, that was an unfortunate event, and and really at this point, I've I've just moved on from that. That didn't have any impact, coach, on the decision to maybe go down to the field this year. I think that was week six or seven, okay. uh, and I didn't go down to the bowl game. So, Mark, you want to jump in? Yeah, let's uh, let's talk about your starting quarterback. Uh, obviously, you had a, I thought a pretty impressive year last year. I'll see, see what you thought, but where, where have you seen him improve? Where does he need to improve on what he did last year? Well, uh, I thought I thought he had a good season from a lot of standpoints, and, and then uh, certainly as a first year starter. You want to manage expectations, and you kind of want to find out what a guy can do, cannot do. Um, and I think we learned all that as we went. And uh, back to the previous question, you know, you talk about what changes you, what doesn't change. I think a lot of things changed him last year, and he was constantly improving and constantly evolving. Um, you know, no point that I really feel like he he just took a step backwards. Uh, certainly, there are bumps and hiccups along the way, or things that didn't go his way. We we had some games where. Uh, Nothing seemed to go his way. Uh, but the thing that impressed me the most was he just continued to grow and evolve throughout that. And uh, hopefully what we can see here as we move forward is you know, just taking that next step in, in what we're trying to accomplish at that position. We're, we're not ever going to be an outfit that uh, looks to the sideline, the, the call plays at the line of scrimmage and try to get the perfect play or anything like that. We're going to put a lot on our quarterback and ask him to direct traffic and uh, really – uh, to be making those decisions that uh, that are going to affect winning and losing. So I hope that he's better at that this year. It's certainly what we've seen up to this point. I would expect it to continue to improve. And uh, certainly as he continues to master uh, the system and what we're asking him to do, uh, I just really think that that whole loop of decision-making will start to shrink down. And, uh, you know, you see things happen faster for him. And, and the faster things can happen, uh, the more success it will follow. John, I feel like that might uh, work right really well into that Twitter question that you had from a listener. If, uh, because you've got, <laughs> if you're talking about Nate Stanley getting yeah. up to the line, being a good decision maker, this is one of the things one of our listeners would like to ask Coach about. Yeah, they asked. Uh, uh, this is directed to you, Coach. Uh, why does it seem like every time an Iowa quarterback calls a line check, it's a running play? Well, that's because that's what we want him to do. <laughs> um, I'm only kidding. Yeah, um, <laughs> you know, I think that. Uh, that's the I think that I could certainly see where, where it would appear that way. And uh, believe me when I tell you, we, we scout everything. We check up on every lead that we get. And uh, we're very aware of, of everything we're doing. And, and what I would say is there's a lot that goes into the communication you see at the line of script. So it could be something as simple as, um, you know, we've given an alert in the huddle that we're going to make a dummy check. And so it may appear that he is changing the play, but he's really not. Um, and that's for the simple reason you, you get in certain games and, and there are certain defense defenses. Penn State comes to mind. They do a really good job of playing cat and mouse with you. And uh, they'll show you one thing and, and perhaps bring another, or they'll show you one thing, uh, get you to check out of it, and then bring the other. Um, you know, so really what you're talking about when you're talking about checks in the run game is typically running away from numbers. Um, the difficult part about being in the single back stuff is 
you know, if you're in a single back set, then typically you're going to be checking away from pressures. Uh, so you become very predictable uh, from that standpoint. You, you lose the ability to create an extra gap in the run game. Uh, if you're in a two-back set, then you have the ability to check in and out of pressures um, or in and out of plays that go at rotation, away from rotation, numbers. You, you can balance numbers on either side of the field, essentially. So uh, you become a little bit more predictable in the check game and the one-back stuff. So if you, if you ever see us checking in one-back, uh, there's a high probability that perhaps we're not even checking the play. It's just a dummy. We're trying to give the illusion of checking the play. Uh, you'll also see us check run to run. You'll see us check pass to run. Um, obviously, sometimes you don't have any idea what the, the first play call was typically. Right. Um, you can see us checking from uh, run to pass, pass to run, pass to run, pass to pass. Uh, I, I can certainly think of examples of even one, one that stands out, uh, if only to disprove the uh, the myth, is if you go back and you look at the Minnesota game in particular, uh, there's a play, I believe it was second and seven or second and eight from our own nine, maybe a little bit further than that. It might have been like our seven. Uh, where we, we're in a single back set. We checked the play. We checked to a double move. He saw coverage. You want to take advantage of the coverage. He certainly has the freedom to do that. He checked to a max protection through a double move to Amir Smith-Marset on a slant and go. And uh, the ball promptly hit Amir in the face and bounced into the waking hands of a Minnesota player. Um, and it was a beautiful throw. It was a beautiful route. We just didn't finish. And it went from probably being one of the prettiest 90-plus uh, yard touchdown passes in the history of our stadium to one of the ugliest <laughs> interceptions we've probably ever thrown. So uh, the things can change that quickly. I want This is a question I don't think I've ever asked you, Brian, and I've always wanted to. I don't know why I haven't, but uh, how much – uh, how much would you say New England Patriots DNA is kind of in your offense now? Yeah, I think we're all a product of our experience. And um, one thing I learned in New England, and, and believe it or not, I had a pretty good handle on it uh, from being around Ken uh, for as long as I was. You know, what, what you have to be able to do to be successful, in my mind, is uh, you, you know you certainly have to have the ability to be multiple within your offense. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think that uh, that perhaps that gets misunderstood sometimes. If, if you look at us from a run game standpoint, we really only run about three runs. Um, and then there's, you know, there's a couple, you know, draws and, and scheme type plays that, uh, that would round that out to maybe five, but three main runs. And then, uh, you know, we're going to protect the passer <clears throat> probably five ways. And, and we carry a little bit more in the pass game than the run game just from a conceptual standpoint uh, because that's the nature of the passing game. But if you look at us compared to most people, we don't do a whole lot. We try not to do much. Uh, where we try to spend our time, uh, I think where the trick is, is trying to do these same type of things out of multiple looks uh, and have the ability to do it with multiple people. Just for example, uh, there's, a, there's a really accomplished high school coach in Illinois. His name is Ken Leonard. He coaches at Sacred Heart Griffin in Springfield. And uh, I've heard him clinic multiple times, but uh, he always talks about running the man offense. And uh, his offensive philosophy is simple, get the ball to the man. Um, so w- what you have to be able to do from an offensive standpoint, I think, is, is be able to do that regardless of who your personnel is. Just meaning this, uh, if per- perhaps in one year you're stronger at tight end uh, or you're stronger at running back or you're stronger on the perimeter at receiver, you need to be able to get the ball to those guys. Um, yeah within the passing concepts that you have without having to change things every year. So that means you have to be able to move people and change identities within what you're doing. Um, and, and I always thought Ken was very good at that. 
certainly they're excellent at New England. There's there's kind of the myth that they change offensive systems every week and they look different every week. Well, they do look different every week, uh, but I assure you they're running the same plays <laughs> every week. They're just doing it out of out of different sets and changing tempo and uh, really just trying to make what you're trying to do offensively. If you're any good, is create some indecisiveness and you know really some uncertainty on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, and, and New England certainly does that better than anyone. I can promise Mark Emmert's ears perked up when you talked about having great I, tight, I ends. tight ends. Yeah, you heard tight ends. You knew right away that we were coming to Mark Emmert for that. Mark, <laughs> let's just, we'll just sit back now. Brian, before I do this, Coach, has he sat down with you and laid out his seven tight end uh, formation that he wants to wants to have you guys run at some time? Mark got it drawn up. Okay. Let him, Coach, just put put the whiteboard in front of him and let the genius yeah. of Mark Emmert unfold in front of you. <laughs> Media day photo. We may run into some uh, eligibility issues with numbers. <laughs> <laughs> well, two of them have to play tackle. Yeah, that's yeah. true. Yeah. Anyway, I have different jerseys. If, uh, if uh, Stanton Hawkinson are as good as they appear that they can be, how much flexibility does it get you as a play caller? What does that do for you? Well, uh, you know, that's an excellent question, and, and it's just it, – it definitely segues off that last question pretty nicely. I think when you talk about uh, creating matchups or creating that uncertainty and that indecisiveness defensively, um, you have to have the ability to move personnel. And the nice thing about guys like Noah, uh, guys like TJ, and you know, I'd even throw in guys like Kelly Ivory Martin and, and certainly Nick Easley to some extent. Um, you know, although his skill set is perhaps a little more specialized, or Amir Smith Marset. Uh, ha- having guys being able to be a little bit interchangeable with informations, uh, I think that helps you. And you only get that um, if, if they have the ability to run more extended route trees for their particular um, discipline, if that makes sense. Just meaning this, the typical tight end, prototypical tight end, uh, as is thought of maybe 25 years ago, was probably not a guy that you were going to run on a lot of outside post routes, um, you know, or, or curl routes or things of that nature. Uh, where that position has evolved a little bit as, as we've gone over uh, and, and really, uh, you know, started to move those guys around, we've asked them to do some of those things. I'm just talking about football in general. And uh, right. I think we have a, a couple guys um, that, that are capable of going outside and running some of those outside route trees. And, and whether you put them outside or you motion outside guys inside and exchange routes and, and do things of that nature, build stacks, build bunches, um, you know, take take the back out of the backfield, uh, whether you get into an empty set or, or whether you play with two backs on the field and split one guy out and create a illusion of a receiver. Um, guys that give you the ability to do that, uh, what I think they end up doing is uh, it, it forces defenses to be a little bit more honest and uh, – you know, it's it's no different than basketball. You watch people change defenses uh, to try to handle certain sets or certain matchup problems. Uh, you you can create that offensively in football if if you have the right pieces. But uh, going back to the question you guys asked earlier, uh, if you don't have the right quarterback, n- none of that's going to matter. <laughs> right. Um, so I, I do feel strongly that uh, we're in a pretty good place at, at all those positions. Chad, you want to go through some of those tight ends because I've got a. Well, uh, I don't want to steal any thunder from Mark. Okay. So if you want to keep going, Mark, go for it. Well, I mean, Sean Byer is the guy that uh, looks like he could legitimately go three tight end with and still throw out of that look. Is that is that fair to yeah. say that he could be a guy that gives you that? Yeah, I think so. I think when you look at uh, when you look at the positions of all, obviously, you have guys like TJ and you have guys like Noah. They're established. They've done things in the game. Uh, they're proven commodities to some extent. 
Mm-hmm. So you, you feel like you can count on those guys. When you look at the rest of the group, uh, you know, you have guys like Sean Byer, who, who's really done a nice job of emerging. And I thought he did as the season went on last year. Uh, you know, he's gained a lot of size. He's gained a lot of weight. He's closer to 240 pounds now than, than he was uh, certainly when he got here. And it was about 198. Um, huh. You know, so he's a guy that uh, that can do some of the things Noah can do. He can't do all the things Noah can do. Uh, he can do some of the TJ, things TJ can do. He can't do all the things TJ can do. Just like TJ can't do all the things Noah can do or Sean can do. Uh, you know, Nate Weeding's another guy putting that conversation. Uh, certainly his skill set is just a little bit different uh, than the other three guys we already talked about. And then, um, you know, I thought Drew Cook did a nice job this spring. I really think he's emerged. I could see him helping us. Um, and, and certainly in a, in a very traditional role, he's actually our biggest tight end right now. He's about 252 pounds. Wow. Uh, so so Drew Cook's gone from being a quarterback and in just over 12 calendar months, he, he's become our biggest tight end. Yeah. Really done a nice job as a blocker. Uh, and it started to flash some real ability in the passing game. So, you know, I think right now coming out of spring, we talked about the offensive line position at, at the press conference a couple of weeks ago and the depth we kind of um, we kind of have there or are trying to build. Tight end is no different. You you want to be deep there. We want to play multiple tight ends on the field. You see us play plenty with two tight ends out there, sometimes three. And uh, if you're going to do that, then you need to have four or five guys ready to go. I feel like we're pretty close to doing that right now. So that's exciting. Seems like tight end and O line both are groups that have a lot of depth, and Hawkeye fans see that depth. We talk about it, coach, on this show a lot that there's, there's some confidence in those positions. Which is the position group that we're undervaluing the most? Uh, you know, I think our receivers are better than people uh, imagine or expect. Um, you know, you look at that group a year ago, and, and really the, the three starters we'll put on the field this fall. Only one of them was on campus last year, and, and he had never played a game. And he had been on campus for all two months. So he's got about five months on all these other guys. So, you know, I just thought we were very young, certainly extremely inexperienced, and, and in some ways immature. Uh, but I, I was really impressed with those guys as the season wore on. Um, you know, they, they exceeded our expectations. So I, I think we're a little better on the outside than people expect. And, uh, you know, then the, the backfield. I'm very encouraged by our backfield. I really think that the tandem we have back there right now has a chance to do some good things. And, um, you know, I know the question came up in my press conference that uh, you're not bringing back a starter or running back, but but I look at the two of those guys and, you know, they've combined for about 500 yards on the ground. Uh, It's not as if they've never played. And and I think they've played in in some real games and some real competition against some real guys. I believe Ivory Kelly Martin averaged close to nine yards at an attempt last year. Um, so we're, we're excited about those guys. We feel like we got two good backs coming back. Torn is obviously a little bit different runner, more powerful, stronger, more downhill guy. Ivory's probably more of the perimeter player, but uh, certainly is good between the tackles as well. So I feel like we have a good tandem coming back there. And we've been good around here. Uh, we've been able to hand the ball off to more than one guy. Yeah. Uh, last question here, kind of on that topic of the running backs and receivers, Coach. Um, have you – uh, now that you are in that offensive coordinator seat, are you? Is there a change in how you sell um, kind of your offense, your program to recruits? You know, because you always are looking for those big time playmakers on the edge or in the backfield, that kind of thing. Sure. Well, you know, everything starts with quarterback, and I, I'd be just remiss if um, you know going back to the undervalue question. If I don't say something inflammatory or controversial, 
it's probably not going to be a good interview. Right. That's we we've been waiting here, Coach, yeah. waiting for it. So, so I, you guys gave me the opening, and I walked right by it. So you asked me if I'm changing. I'm certainly growing. Um, <laughs> but I did read an article because I couldn't help myself. I read an article uh, probably been about two weeks ago after Ohio State spring game, and it was it was written by a plane dealer writer, a Cleveland beat writer, and, and I know the world's not real big outside of Columbus. I understand that. Um, but they mentioned that there are eight top quarterbacks in the Big Ten. Um, and they mentioned three of them were at Ohio State. And then they mentioned five other guys, and I don't recall. And I think we have some good quarterbacks in the league. But when you talk about an undervalued position, I, I really feel strongly that Nate Stanley is a very good football player. Um, and, and he was not mentioned in the top eight, uh, which surprised me a little bit. So that's as close as you're going to get to me stirring up trouble today. But uh, <laughs> I guess what I'm saying is the, the Cleveland writer was wrong. And, and I think Nate Stanley is at least the eighth-best quarterback in the conference um, out of 14. Yeah. That, that's so, the Ferentz confidence right there. He's at least yeah. the eighth-best. I like it. Yeah. We're just trying to get him in the top half at the end of the year. Um, but, uh, but, yeah, when you, when you talk about the offense, I think what you're always trying to do, whether it's an um, outside player, uh, an offensive lineman, a running back, a quarterback, what we're trying to do, and it's interesting to me, I read an article the uh, – you know, right after the draft, you guys asked about the draft in the beginning. You know, really, when you think about the draft, I'm going to flip the tables on you guys. What, what are you guys trying to – if you're an NFL team, what are you trying to do in the draft? Uh, fill needs. holes and make my team better. Get the best players available. Yeah, get better. Right. Best players available. Okay. Um, yeah, which which is, to me, the best probably philosophy drafting-wise. I know that Bill Belichick subscribes to that philosophy. Mm-hmm. But interestingly enough, you know, they don't make a pick in every round, right? Right. Uh, they, they often trade out of rounds and do those things so that if the best player available doesn't make their team better, they don't take them. Yeah. Uh, they, they trade the pick away and they do something else, um, which, which is always interesting to me because you ask a question about recruiting. To me, it's the same as the draft. It's the same as any of those things. Uh, I, I think what you don't ever want to lose sight of when you're recruiting football players or drafting them is that football is a team game and it's a team sport. Uh, and, and no matter how talented an individual is, uh, no matter how special they may be, no matter the effect they could have potentially on games and making differences within games, um, if, if you don't take into account how, how they'll enter the team dynamic and fit into the culture of what you're trying to build, uh, that, that's where I think mistakes get made. And uh, I, I, you asked the question, what do we sell? What are we trying to tell guys? It, it hasn't changed, um, You know, even in a different seat. I'm always trying to make sure. Uh, but in my mind, I'm doing what's best for Iowa football, and, and that's bringing in the right guys that have the right mentality and the right attitude. Uh, and certainly you want to get talented guys, guys that have the ability to play football at a high level. Uh, but it's always a balance you're trying to strike, uh, and, and it's getting harder. I, I really feel like in this climate and, and the, thing, the things that guys are learning at younger levels right now, uh, it's getting harder and harder to find those guys. So uh, you have to be extra vigilant in the recruiting process. Coach, thanks a lot for giving us time here. We really appreciate it. Great stuff. Thank you, Brian. Thank you, Brian. Absolutely. Take care, guys. Talk to you soon. Coach Brian Ferentz, and he didn't even let the opportunity go. We almost had him off the air with no controversial stuff, and he took the took the chance to reel back and at least to send one barb across to Ohio. So Yeah, I like, <laughs> I like it. You know, we could have asked him about Minnesota and, and the guys' names and all that stuff, but uh, I'm, I'm happy with that interview. When we get back, we'll yeah. kind of recap it. Give, uh, give our opinions on what some of the things Coach Ferentz said to us. We'll get into some other stuff here. Uh, draft recap from Mark Emmert, Chad Lysico, and myself. We'd love to take your phone calls, 284-5966, here on Hawk Central on 1460 KXNO. 
It's Hawk Central from the Des Moines Register and 1460 KXNO. Welcome back to Hawk Central here on 1460 KXNO. Chad Lystico, Mark Emmert from the Des Moines Register hanging out with us, chatting Hawkeyes. Fun conversation with Brian Ferentz there to start the program. I uh, want to get through some phone calls here, Chad, or do you want to, uh, sure. to give our reaction? Let's talk to Anthony real quick. Anthony's one of our buddies calls in most weeks. How are you doing, Anthony? Hey, pretty good. Get ready for some severe weather later on here tonight. Yeah, it's going to stay south. Going to stay south of the Des Moines area, though. That's uh, good news for the metro, at least. What do you What do you got, yeah, bud? Good. Well, I just kind of like to know how the uh, the spring uh, spring game went uh, went down for Iowa. My two questions are for you guys: How's the uh, the free safety uh, comparison went down to? And also, how about the quarterback situation? Uh, how's this new guy is going? Will be the next guy coming in. Will Nate Stanley be the uh, remaining starter? Yeah. And uh, I'll just hang up and listen and uh, go Hawks. Yeah, Anthony. Nice. Yep. Nate Stanley will be your starting quarterback next year. I mean, barring injury or anything. And then it looks like it'll be Peyton Manziel will be the backup. And then probably uh, Spencer Petrus is the kid that it, they're really high on. But he, we assume Chad would be a uh, uh, a redshirt this year. Yeah, we'll see uh, what NCAA legislation does. I mean, if they can play four games and not lose an eligibility, then you never know. But, uh, Mark, on the free safeties, you've kind of written about these guys. I'll let you field field that question. Yeah, uh, they're, they're really strong there. Uh, Amani Hooker, I thought, was the, the best player on the field in their, spring, their final spring practice or scrimmage or whatever you want to call that. So, Then you still got uh, Gervas. Stone and Brandon Snyder coming back, and uh, Dallas Craft coming in. Your best recruit is probably a safety as well. So they got uh, potentially five really, really strong safeties. Yeah, position of strength for sure. So what, Brian, Brian Ferentz. Yeah, let's that? move on to that. Uh, Mark, any what? Uh, what did you take away from the Brian Ferentz interview? Well, all I heard was the tight end stuff. I mean, I think we talked <laughs> before and after that, but um, words. But I thought that just was words. Really, really interesting. Yeah, when uh, when he talked about you know how much flexibility that could give him. You know, have that uh, have two tight ends that can uh, that could be interchangeable, and and uh, you know, throw Sean Byer in there, and of course he mentioned Drew Cook and Nate Weeding. So uh, uh, we kind of knew they were strong there, but it's, it's interesting to hear him kind of talk about what exactly that means in real terms for for him as a play caller. Yeah, and obviously he broke a little news there, but that he is going to call plays from the field next season. That's a we're going to miss him. It's going to be it's a big change, um, and uh, yeah, seemed like. Uh, I liked how he kind of poked fun at himself, and I don't, you know, I think they gained 200 yards in the pinstripe bowl, but uh, yeah, <laughs> you know, it was kind of an, a one-off type of surface, though. So, um, yeah, so yeah, we can't harshly judge that. I don't think Ross. Well, how about you? Um, you know, I guess the, I, I'm not surprised at all that he feels confident in his team. I mean, if he'd come on here and said, "Boy, we really have a bunch of slaps out here that can't can't hold water," that would have been more surprising. But got some confidence in that wide receiving core. Has a lot of confidence, seems like, in Nate Stanley. They really think like that. that's high. He echoes a lot of the same things we heard from Ken O'Keefe when talking about Nate Stanley. And really the stuff about James Daniels and just the, the, the draft stuff. You know, And I think he could probably be, if, you know, with a couple of beers and not being recorded or not knowing that he's going out on a, on a, a radio station, it'd be a lot of fun to talk to the Ferrans about their interaction with these NFL teams. Because just like he yeah. said, these NFL teams know when they call – to the Iowa football office, they know that they're going to get a pretty straight shooter. I would imagine Coach Ferentz knows which one of those front office guys can't be trusted. Yeah. Through that time period, that's where I kind of ask about the Daniels and Jackson getting pushed to that second round. 
how much were they told and how many times that phone rang and they were told you're going to be a first round pick and and what kind of you know reputation does that leave behind in the office anyway that'd be the geeky stuff let's talk about yeah. some of these guys james daniels goes to your bears chad i think this is a, a fantastic fit for a team and player yeah they, they need help at uh left guard and that's where he's going to start out which is kind of interesting um they could the guy that plays center for him now uh, was drafted as a guard cody whitehair from k-state a few few years ago so i could see daniels being uh the starting center there eventually or he mm-hmm. could be the guard but uh very interesting that that uh, Brian Ferentz hadn't heard from the Bears. So I think that was a case where Chicago probably took the best available in that case. Maybe they hadn't yeah. you know, done full research, but obviously he was a very highly ranked player. And Kirk Ferentz even said he's the best center pro- prospect he's ever coached. Mm-hmm. So right. um, you know, that was notable. Mark, our producer, Sean Jankowski, was kind of shocked during the break to realize that James, da- James Daniels, and Sean's also a Bears fan, his new uh, center, the new draft pick, is only 20 years old. That's, uh, that's kind of a shock for po- folks that don't know about the James Daniels timeline. Yeah, I mean, he, he came to Iowa at 17 yeah. uh, and played right away. So, uh, yeah, that's, I think that's one of the things that really appealed to uh, teams, not, not just his athleticism, which is really, really freakish for, for an interior offensive lineman, but the fact that he's got as Brian Ferentz said, his best football is definitely ahead of him. I mean, he's he's really just scratching the surface now. So that's, that's why NBA teams always want to get these guys after their freshman year when they can right. project them and work with them and uh, get their best years out of them. He doesn't have a lot of mileage on him. So he's a, that's a hell of a pick for the Bears. I hate to say it as a Vikings fan, but it is. Six picks later, the Green Bay Packers take Josh Jackson. Is that, I, I think it feels like all the expert analysis I've seen of this, same situation as Daniels. Great fit for player and team, Chad. Yeah, and I think this is also another case of best available. I, I doubt that the Packers went into the draft saying our first two picks are going to be cornerbacks, yeah. but that's exactly what happened. Um, and I, obviously, he was he ends up being you know, according to the draft experts, um, who who Brian Ferentz uh, correctly put in their place, um, you know, was he was a good value there because he was he was slated. I think of the ten uh, mock drafts or whatever that we kind of broke down you know published in our paper i think nine of them had josh going in the first round so um that he fell to the second round was um a bit of a surprise but not you know it's not like he fell way out of the down right. of the third round or something right. like that so. yeah and landed with a good spot again Lands good a, franchise a good team, good team right. that loves loves drafting hawkeyes obviously good history there with bulaga hyde mike daniels so Good fit. Denver Broncos end up with the final Hawkeye in that fourth round. They come away with Josie Jewell from the Denver uh, uh, as a linebacker, one of the many defensive players that Denver lands. Mark, how'd you feel about Josie Jewell and his fit at Denver? Yeah, that's. I mean, well, that's a hell of a defense. I mean, that's yeah. the first thing that, that's what they really kind of thrive on now. So that's a, that's a good situation for anybody, I think. And it's a three-four defense, so gives him a couple chances there to to fill a role. I'm not sure if he'll play start right away, but it certainly will be on special teams. And uh, I saw the tweet that uh, Elway sent out about him after they drafted him. It was very, very, as you would imagine, very laudatory of of Josie. So I think that's, that's I mean, he's going to be a good pro. I thought wherever he ends up, honestly, for eight to ten years, I'm not saying he's going to be all pro necessarily, but he's going to be a contributor and, and I think eventually a starter. And I think that's a really good spot for him to learn because they've got a lot of good talent around him. Those are the three guys that you both thought would get drafted and you, you told us going into draft preview Wadley, Welsh, Neiman, Bodker might be on the outside looking in. That's exactly the way this played out. But Akram Wadley seems like he does land with a good spot in Tennessee. Uh, we talked yeah. to Sage Rosenfels yesterday about this. I'm sorry, on, on Monday. Well, it was yesterday. I apologize. About uh, 
Akram Wadley's fit there. He he didn't think it's a perfect fit for Wadley. But Chad, what do you think about uh, Akram's future? Yeah, that was um, I. It was interesting. There was a there was a website that posted why he didn't get drafted type of thing today, talking to executives, and um, you just have to look at it. I mean, just like Brian Ferentz said, like there's only a finite guy number of guys that can get drafted, right. you know. And and when you start looking at which running backs you want to draft, you know, you see a guy that didn't blow you away at the combine with with neither side nor size nor speed. Um, it's kind of understandable maybe that he fell out. Um, but the Titans, yeah, it look, based on what they have, they have Derrick Henry and Deion Lewis. I mean, obviously, those two guys are going to be their primary backs, but the need for a number three back is clear. I didn't, I've never heard of the other guys he's competing against for that job. And so the stuff I read, in addition to what I wrote, um, all seem to feel like he's got a really good shot to make that roster. And, of course, we've seen him as a kick returner, too, so that, that will provide some value. Mark, would you like to add anything on Welsh with the Redskins and even with the Chiefs or Ike Bodker and the Bills? No, I mean, I think they're all going to get their chance, which, yeah. which is what they wanted. So it's, it's basically the same as being drafted in the seventh round almost at that point, mm-hmm. except for a little you know, less money. But uh, they'll get a chance to earn it or not, and uh, it's a tough way. But uh, we see that every year where undrafted guys not only make teams, but end up being starters eventually. So that's uh, if they're good enough, uh, teams will find them. I, I, I will just echo, I, I was actually a little surprised Wadley did not get drafted. This one that kind of caught me a little bit by surprise. I thought he, I thought somebody would take a chance on him in the sixth round or something. But, uh, yeah. Uh, anyway, so they're all they're all going to kind of earn their way up there. I think uh, the, the three guys that got drafted, I think, are pretty much all almost but guaranteed to make the team. Yeah. Um, but those those other guys certainly will get their chance. When yeah. we get back, we'll wrap up Hawk, Hawk Central with uh, uh, our, maybe our final mention of Ahmad Wagner. What's happening with the young man that used to be a part of this Hawkeye basketball team? Other basketball news with Tyler Cook. He's got some NBA workouts scheduled. A little bit of wrestling news, and then we will probably uh, top it off with some more football. We'll see how it plays out. Last 10 minutes of Hawk Central coming your way next here on 1460 KXNO. It's Hawk Central from the Des Moines Register and 1460 KXNO. Wrapping up Hawk Central here. Chad Lystico, Mark Emmert hanging out with us. We uh, have a couple of more football notes we want to get to. We'll kind of push those to the back right now because we do have a few basketball things to tie up and one wrestling note from the week. That's kind of odd yeah, that'll in, be me and Ross in early statements. May. Right. We'll, we'll just throw that to Mark Emmert and let him geek out on Austin DeSanto. He's probably got all the details you need to know. Uh, do we want to talk about some basketball stuff here? We had mentioned the last couple of weeks about Ahmad Wagner. He was going to call it quits to his basketball career, give college football a trial, and we find out, Chad, that he is, or Mark, uh, you can take this, he's going to head to Kentucky. Yeah, uh, I know we knew that he visited there as one of the schools that was in him, and obviously there's some mutual interest. It's near his, it's near his home. Uh, as Chad wrote, he's from Ohio, not too far north of there, and I believe they actually had some interest in him uh, out of high school as well. We have some connections there, I think, with that coaching staff, and uh, he's going to play two years of football, we think, now in the SEC, because um, I think uh, what I'm hearing from people down there is that he might actually get to play right away this year and, and play for two years, which is not what we thought originally, so if that's the case, it's a hell of a move for him because uh, yeah. he, you know, he would he would lose a year otherwise. Great move by him, Chad. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, good kid, good kid, good move. Um, wish him well. Good athlete. And, and as we just heard with Brian Ferentz, I mean, I was, I mean, I'm, I'm not even joking. Has five tight ends already that are kind of ready to play. When you look at Fant, Hawkinson, Byer, Cook, and Weeding, so um, he, it would have been a real log jam to try to to make it here. 
Found out that Tyler Cook is having six NBA workouts scheduled. Do we know anything more about the specifics of this? Is this is this one workout where six guys come to watch him, Mark or Chad? Can either one of you fill in any of the details for us on this? Yeah, um, the uh, his first workout is this weekend with Oklahoma City, and okay. so that I did. I, this is a question I think we brought up right in the previous show. Um, the NBA teams can pay does do pay them to come down or you know pay for their travel oh, okay okay so it's not on your own dime to do that and so i guess that's a permissible ncaa benefit i, I heard andy fails ask this one and i hate to throw these at you because i didn't we didn't prepare for this at all but who sets these up i mean tyler can't have an agent uh usually goes through mccaffrey okay yeah they all usually right. go through the coach in that case sometimes oh. the family it can be what either or okay um i think mccaffrey has a little hand more hands-on but uh, yeah six workouts so he should get some good uh feedback you know, throughout this whole process, I think, and make a decision. May thirtieth is the deadline, so what? About four weeks away or so. Mark, so. do we look into the the fact that it's six NBA workouts? I mean, that seems to me that's a good sign for Tyler Cook. He's got yeah. a lot more interest than I would have initially anticipated. Yeah, I mean, that is a good number. Absolutely, yeah. He's now he's got to impress any one of those teams enough for them to want them to actually, you know, sign him. Yeah. Let alone draft him, but I mean, I yeah, that's. that's Probably a little more than I would have thought too. Okay. So does that does move the needle at all on uh, your your opinion that Tyler Cook is not going or not will not be drafted? Will be back with the Iowa Hawkeyes. Did that number change your opinion on that in any way? Not really. Okay. No. I mean, I, I again, I don't think he's not going to get drafted. I don't think anybody thinks he's going to get drafted. It's a question of whether they they uh, want to stash him on their G League team. If anybody well. does that, like, you know, would that change things? Yeah. That's See, what I wonder because it did pique my interest a little bit. You got that many, Chad. Well, and that's the thing. I mean, he's um, uh, it won't be part of the NBA Combine um, oh, okay. at this point, but uh, but still, the second. I mean, everyone has to understand the second round of the NBA draft is is a nothing round. It's it's really just one round where you get any guarantee. So if if one of these six teams um, likes him, says we will draft you in the second round, put you on our G League team, and he finds that acceptable and he wants to continue his career that way or as an as an undrafted free agent you know because they can they can tell them that it's not like they can't say that they can say we will take you if you keep your name in the draft hmm. and put you on our g league team and that's 30 or forty thousand dollars a year um but at least you get your pro career going right um so okay, i can see that happening franchise, yeah, I mean, if, if he likes the fit good um, so he'll keep trying be interesting when is the nba draft it's usually in late June. I can't tell you the exact date. Don't need to. You sound like one of the coaches. Can I ask you about a recruit? Well, I can't tell you specifics. Uh, <laughs> Chad, let's geek out on wrestling for a few minutes here. I did this with Cody Goodwin on Monday night, the, June 21st. That's the NBA draft. Okay. First day of summer, right? Longest day of the year, best day of the go. year. It's my birthday. Uh, Austin DeSanto is transferring to Iowa. This is a, a fairly big deal. Iowa, as we talked about at the end of the national tournament, has a hole next year at 133. Qualified nine guys for the national tournament this season, and 133 was the one weight you were missing. Austin DeSanto is a kid that comes in and has a little bit of a history with Spencer Lee. Can you kind of fill us in on on where how much excitement we should have for this? Yeah, I'm happy to. Um, Austin is the is the only guy that beat Spencer Lee in high school, but the, with a major asterisk of Spencer Lee had mono and a torn ACL. So, um, so let's not get too carried away. But he was, the as a true freshman at Drexel, he was the number seven seed at the NCAAs at 133 pounds. He made the um, 
he was one win away from making the All-American stand. So um, just an unbelievably high motor, and he wanted a tough wrestling room. He's really not gotten any real college coaching, you know, the level he's going to get in Iowa. Uh, outstanding fit. Spencer Lee and him are good friends. Um, you know, they call themselves friends and, and uh, uh, have mutual respect for each other. Uh, there's no bad blood, anything like that. So it's going to be a good one-two punch there for Iowa. Um, I think sky's the limit with this guy. So it, but it's just a total. He could score no points next year at the NCAA's. He could he could go to the NCAA finals. I mean, he's just he's kind of an untapped talent at this point. How big of a deal is it, Chad? I mean, how how, yeah. how much does this close the gap? That's the same question I asked Cody. Yeah, I mean, some other stuff is closing the gap, like Jacob Warner taking off his red shirt you know, closes the gap a lot more probably than this. But um, you know, when I I wrote my column this week, kind of just plotting out what you could maybe expect and i think if he gets to the all-american stand that gets you another eight or nine points at the ncaa's and um that could push iowa into the 120s 130s and that's usually what it takes to kind of contend so um yeah that's a that's a huge piece and um if i got one more second they lost gavin teasdale remember to a d commit Mm -hmm. it it may end up working out better that it worked out this way because all of a sudden you've got an NCA qualifier, you got three straight yeah. years of him of eligibility, and he's eligible now. So it may have worked out for the best for Iowa. Maybe. Hey, Sean, call Mark Emmert. Wake him up again because okay. we're done talking wrestling here. So if we, Mark, we had listening. We have over under college football win totals that are out, and yeah, nor- normally, the, the, yeah, exactly. We've been waiting for this to happen. <laughs> uh, normally, this isn't the type of thing that gets me real excited. But when I saw Iowa's number and I compared it to their schedule next year. That uh, that yeah. crazy optimistic Hawkeye fan that you have to deal with throughout the season started to come out. I, I think this yep. number of seven and a half is awfully low. I think this Hawkeye team could win nine games next year, maybe more. I, I well, I don't know about more. I, I agree. With you. I'm kind of waffling whether I'm going to pick to win eight or nine. Okay. Just looking at that schedule and what they have, and uh, so seven and a half to me seems maybe one one too low. But uh, I don't set these things. I just read them. So <laughs> I would. I think I'm with you. I would take the over on that. Chad, did you have that same reaction when you saw that number and looked at the, mm. the schedule? Not as confident? Well, I just think they know what they're doing. They do. Um, yeah. It's, <laughs> you're right about yeah. that. Um, so do we. Yeah. <laughs> last year's number, I believe, was six and a half. And obviously, huh? they were six and five going into that last game against Nebraska. Um, I guess the, the – I mean, I have not decided on my record. It still weighs out from that. But um, when I was – looking at this i looked at iowa's five road games this year mm-hmm. and they could legitimately go four and one yeah, on the road agree. in the big 10 or in yeah it is in the big 10 with penn state being the toughest i think the other ones are if you were looking at it ross it was oh, boy. indiana it, yep it's uh, indiana illinois it, purdue purdue northwestern minnesota. Minnesota, minnesota is on the road that's yeah. right those are the four other roads so they could legit and then you think about you know so if you go four and one on the road that's a big if and then that seven and a half seems real attractive if you can just go four and three at home. So yeah, with your, I mean, you, you've got uh, Northern Illinois, yeah. Northern Iowa, right? Iowa State at home. Those that'll, are your first three games. Yeah, that'll right, be tough. Different Rank, order, obviously. Ranked team, I heard. Yep. Yeah, yeah. yeah they have a twenty-second ranked team coming in yeah. to Powerhouse. be the first chance to knock yeah. off a ranked team at Kinnick Stadium, two thousand eighteen. Mm. Probably not the last. Uh, all right. When uh, the other Big Ten win totals that came back, Ohio State at ten and a half, Wisconsin at ten. Penn State nine and a half, Michigan State eight and a half. That's where Michigan is also at eight and a half. Then Northwestern seven and a half with the Hawks. Any of those jump out at you right away, Chad? Do you think that any of those are too high, too low? Uh, the Wisconsin one's the most interesting because they got a really tough road schedule. 
Um, I think Penn State, Michigan, and Iowa. I think they traveled to all those. Wow. So, to get over 10 there, that would be tough. Yep. Good show. Thanks for setting up Brian Ferentz for us. You know who uh, next week it's uh, Coach Parker, right? Phil Parker next week. Yeah. Very cool. All right, Mark Emmer, thanks a lot for a fun week, man. Appreciate it, buddy. Thank you. We'll talk to you soon. That's Mark Emmer, Chad Lystico. You see all their great work at hawkcentral.com and, of course, in your Des Moines Register. We do this each and every Wednesday from 6 to 7. It's Hawk Central. We'll be back at it again next week right here on Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO.